From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 202 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing really good. I'm feeling very spooky, but mostly good. Uh How are you? Good. Well, I'm hoping that this episode will help you feel even extra spooky and ghoulish yeah i want it to scare me so much that i just move past the next uh the next little bit and i rush straight to christmas but let's be real i'm already there i'm sure you are but you haven't watched nightmare before christmas yet Uh, no nope we we watch that either on the halloween night after you know, we'll watch it starting at like 10 o'clock if we're around and we don't go out and do anything. Uh, but if not, November 1st. I will not watch it before November 1st. Yeah, I won't either. Sometimes I wait until after Thanksgiving. Yeah, I just, I, I like doing November 1st because technically, as I've explained multiple times probably on this show, uh, mm-hmm. the fact is that the movie starts right after halloween halloween just ends so i'm like oh november 1st but i also like watching coco on november 1st because of uh, dia de muertos so right it's uh it's like a double feature but you know sometimes i i am like you i won't actually watch nightmare until closer to thanksgiving but mm-hmm. it all depends if if i have to go out to disneyland and i'm in like that extra you know extra nightmare before christmas spirit from having haunted mansion holiday then i find i watch it a lot more on those years and then on the years that i'm not in disneyland i think it's just something's missing that i don't want to watch it as much yeah yeah i'm going to disneyland this year first weekend in december so i'm very excited to i haven't seen the park decorated in a while it's my first time back in a couple years yeah, so meanwhile, you've it. just set up base camp in Walt Disney World. <laughs> Pretty much, because I'm going back in November, so yeah. for D23. Yeah. So, Destination D, and I'm going to whatever they call the Halloween event there. I'm seeing that, so so I'll, I'll see. The I'll see Christmas event. Yeah, you've already Christmas done event. the event. Yeah, you did Disney yeah, After did. Hours, Boo Bash. Mm-hmm. You have to do the... Very merriest Disney after hours. Is that what it is? Yeah. I, okay. We'll see. I'm doing that too. <laughs> and I'm going to Knights of the Give Kids the World, Knights of a Million Lights. I have my tickets for that. I have never been. So I'm oh, looking forward yeah. to you that. Were, you didn't end up coming out last year. Right. Or, I yeah. had, I was planning on doing it and yeah, it never came out. It was beautiful. And from what I've been told, they are upping it. Like, not just in the amount of lights, but in the way they're displaying the lights, too. So, uh, for anyone who saw it last year and was blown away, uh, this year will leave us just even more impressed. So, I'm very excited for it. Excellent. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, 
as, as we've been talking, it's the spooky season of Halloween when we embrace all that is scary and ghoulish and little ghosts, goblins, witches, princesses, and superheroes walk our neighborhoods in search of treats. So to get into the spirit, we decorate our homes with skeletons, ghosts, and jack-o'-lanterns. We visit pumpkin patches and maybe a haunted house. And we watch films and television shows that we've been talking about that put us in the spirit of the season. We may even dress up and go to special Halloween events at our favorite theme parks. Well, this week, we are going to not only help you get into the Halloween spirit, but also better appreciate your next visit to Disneyland or the Magic Kingdom. So, what would a film about a haunted house be without a spooky graveyard? So when creating the Haunted Mansion, the Imagineers created delightfully ghoulish details throughout the attraction, from the woodwork and wallpaper to the objects in the attic and the ghosts that reside within the mansion. However, they didn't stop with the interior of the mansion. The mansion's exterior and landscaping also tell the story of the mansion, and that includes the graveyards outside of the mansions in both Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. When we're in the queue of the Haunted Mansion, we may spend our time reading the humorous epitaphs on the tombstones, not realizing that, like the windows on Main Street, they are tributes to the Imagineers whose talents contributed to the creation of the mansion and the parks. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the tombstones and the Imagineers immortalized on them. So let's start out with the tombstones that could be found at both mansions. So I'm just going to read an epitaph and, and Craig, if, if you know who the Imagineer is and, and why they're being immortalized, just go ahead and, and speak up. So the first one is, um, Master Gracie laid to rest. No mourning, please, at his request. Farewell. I, I believe that would be for Yale Gracie. <laughs> Absolutely. This is a tribute to Imagineer and special effects wizard Yale Gracie. He created many of the effects for the Haunted Mansion, and his 36-year career started in the Walt Disney Studio Animation Department in 1939. And Gracie worked on layouts and backgrounds for films like Pinocchio, Fantasia, and The Three Caballeros. And he was known as Imagineering's master illusioneer, but he had no special effects training. He just enjoyed tinkering around, creating amazing effects. And this caught the notice of Walt Disney, who moved Gracie to Wed Enterprises, which we know now as Imagineering. And Gracie may be best known for creating many of the special effects in Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion, and especially for incorporating the Pepper's ghost effect, which brings the dancing ghosts to life in the Grand Ballroom. Gracie retired in 1975 and was named a Disney legend in 1999. So that was a good guess there. Thank and, you. Uh, that was one of the easiest ones, though, mm-hmm. I feel like, just because we all know we know Gracie so well at this point. Yeah, and we've talked about the creation of the Haunted Mansion a few times. So we've brought up how he tinkered around and scared the cleaning staff, yeah. <laughs> Ian Holly and all that. Okay, well, here's, here's another one you might know. 
In memory of our patriarch, dear departed Grandpa Mark. I'm I'm going to just go ahead and guess that that's probably Mark Davis. Absolutely, Mark Davis. He was an animator, designer, and he contributed his talents to attractions at Disneyland and Walt Disney World. He was one of Walt's nine old men and started his career at the Walt Disney Studio in 1935. He created some of Walt Disney's signature characters like Snow White, Cinderella, and Prince Charming. Alice from Alice in Wonderland, Tinkerbell and Aurora or Briar Rose, and Maleficent and Cruella DeVille. Now, Walt moved Mark Davis over to Wet Enterprises to add his brand of humor to Disneyland attractions. And Mark's most memorable work includes his contributions to the Country Bear Chamboree, Pirates of the Caribbean, and his concept art for the Haunted Mansion. Mark Davis was so talented that Walt Disney referred to him as a Renaissance man. So, I'm planning to do a full episode on Mark Davis. But, um, there's a lot to, there. Yeah, I still have to get through the book. Uh, with the, Books. <laughs> um, it's just, I, I haven't even taken it out of the packaging yet. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's sitting on my coffee table saying... I'm more than a coffee table book, but at the same time, too, you can at least flip through the pages. You don't have to read every little bit, but I want to read every mm-hmm. little bit. I do, too, of course. And there's some glorious illustrations in there and artwork. So, All right. You'll definitely know this one. At peaceful rest lies Brother Claude, planted here beneath this sod. I mean, I have to assume that that's Claude Coates. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And he started out at the Walt Disney Studio as a background artist and was lead designer of the Haunted Mansion's architecture and its interior environments. And, of course, for more about Claude Coates, listen to our episode 197, which we talked to Disney historian Dave Bossard and Claude's son, Alan, about Claude's life and career. Yeah, and I, I don't think we can get into much more detail than we did in that episode, which it's right. just truly fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I think episode 112 also. Yes, yeah, the them. first time that we talked to, to Alan. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see if I can get through this one. Recreascat Francis Xavier, no time off for good behavior. Rest in peace, RIP. I... I'm assuming that this one with Xavier is Exitensio. That's right. Francis Xavier Atencio. And he was called X by his friends. And of course, he wrote the script for The Haunted Mansion and the lyrics for Grim Grinning Ghost. And he's the voice. Did you know he does a voice in the mansion? Whose voice does he do? He does the, the voice of the mansion resident trapped in the coffin. The, so let, through let the me corridor. Out, let me out yeah, again, that one. That one. I, mm-hmm. I don't think I ever knew that. Yeah, yeah. And he created some concept art for the mansion. X began his Disney career when he was just 18 years old in 1938. And he worked as an animator for close to 30 years. When he moved over to Wed Enterprises in 1965, Walt asked him to write the script for Pirates of the Caribbean. 
When X told Walt he thought the attraction needed a song to pull the story together, Walt tasked him with writing the lyrics, which X had never done before. That song, of course, would be Yo-Ho, Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me. X retired in 1984, but continued to work as a consultant for many years, and he was named a Disney legend in 1996. I, it's, it's something about, I probably that, you know, we know Grim Grinning goes so well from, uh, from like, Thurl Raisin, Ravencroft's voice and such, and Paul Freeze. Like, I, I don't know. Part of me was like, Oh, Exitensio has to have this uh, deep growling voice as well, too. So um, that's that's one of my new favorite fun facts. I never yeah. realized that was him. Okay. Here rests Waithel R. Bender. He rode to glory on a fender. Peaceful rest. I feel like I should get this, but I know I'm having like a mind blank right now. Yeah, well, this is a tribute to animator Wethel Rogers, who okay. assisted in building the animatronics in a haunted mansion. And he's considered the father of audio animatronics, because when Walt Disney purchased a mechanical bird during one of his shopping trips, Walt got the idea to create more um, realistic, lifelike mechanical animals and humans. And so Walt tasked Wethel Rogers and Roger Brogy to take apart the bird examine it and figure out a way to improve it, which led to the development of the audio animatronic figures we enjoy today. And with the Rogers worked on Disneyland's Enchanted Tiki Room, The Jungle Cruise, Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress, Pirates of the Caribbean, and Haunted Mansion. He was also a sculptor and, like Walt Disney, a railroad enthusiast. He retired in 1987 and uh, after a 48-year career and was named a Disney legend in 1995. And you might remember, remember when... um there's that, there's the TV show where Walt's talking about the development of the attractions for the World's Fair. And he's talking about Pirates, uh, um, Carousel of Progress. And you see a man who's all hooked up and he's sitting in a chair and he's doing the movements for, um, yeah. the figure. That's with the Rogers. Oh, I don't, I don't think I knew that either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's cool. I'll, I'll have to rewatch that just to see it. Mm-hmm. So now let's take a look at a few tombstones that are unique to Disneyland's Haunted Mansion. So so this might get a little harder, some of these. Cousin Victor, he brewed a batch of bad elixir. I not only do I not know who that one is for, I don't even recognize that one. Okay. This was this was one it was one of the original tombstones. Then when they removed the tombstones, it was gone and there was a petition. It, then they brought some tombstones back to the berm and this one wasn't included and his family started a petition to get the original tombstones all back. Well, they didn't know where they were. And so um, they recreated them, the Imagineers. And this one was brought back, I think, in like 2006. And um, But he, this is a tribute to Haunted Mansion chief architect Vic Green. Oh, and he oversaw many architectural projects in the parks as a land planner. He was also a draftsman for many key locations within the park, including Tom Sawyer Island and the Matterhorn B- 
bobsled. He was also the art director for Disneyland's Jungle Cruise. His main contribution for the Haunted Mansion at both Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom was the overseeing of the interior and exterior architectural elements. So Vic Green someone to definitely remember yeah and meanwhile i was like i thought the way the story was going that you were going to be like oh it's actually not about anyone it was just it rhymed so they chose that (laughs) yeah now i'm i'm doing except for the next one it's questionable i'm only doing the ones that are actually tributes to people oh okay okay so because some of them are just silly rhyming ones that are fun Yeah, yeah and so i'm skipping over those gotcha Okay, this one is, I'm questioning what I've come up with here. Because some of these, some of my resources just sort of ignored this one. One said it was a tribute to somebody. One source only. So, another source said it was a tribute to one of the residents, one of the ghosts in the mansion. So, take this one with a grain of salt. Here lies Phineas Pock, laid to rest beneath this rock. Rest in peace. It's R.I.P. Yeah, I would. I would think that that one would be for the one of the hitchhiking ghosts. Name is Phineas. That's what I thought too. Although they've never officially been named, but they, they're yeah, names have been attributed to them that have sort of been widely adopted. Yeah. One source I had, and it might have been the um, Orange County Register. Not sure. It says a tribute. This is a tribute to voice actor Paul Fries. Uh, I don't know how they got that, but it says amongst his many accomplishments, of course, Fries voiced characters in the Pirates of the Caribbean, including the auctioneer and old Bill who offers to share his rum with a few affectionate cats. Um, he's also the echoing voice warning Dead Men Tells No Tales. He's the voice of the ghost host in the Haunted Mansion and was named a Disney legend in 2006. So this one, I'm not too sure. Yeah, I just, I don't understand how you connect either Phineas or Pock. Yeah. 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 So I'm just throwing it out there because I found it in one resource, but. I'm not sure how accurate that was. Okay, this one I think you'll get. Rolo Rumpkin lived and died a friendly bumpkin. I mean, it's a stretch, but I'm assuming it has to be Raleigh Crump. Absolutely. Concept artist Roland Raleigh Crump. He joined Walt Disney. Pardon me? I don't think I ever knew his first name was Roland. So Rolo makes a little bit more sense now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I think it was um, Walt who gave him the name Rolly. Oh, there uh, you go. Yeah, and he joined the Walt Disney Studio in 1952 and worked on several films, including Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, 101 Dalmatians, and Sleeping Beauty. He moved over to Wed Enterprises to work on Disney attractions for the 1963-64 New York World's Fair. And Rolly then worked with Yale Gracie to design effects and gags for the Haunted Mansion. He created the Museum of the Weird a concept that was abandoned after Walt Disney's passing. And Rowley retired in 1996 and was named a Disney legend in 2004. We inter- I interviewed him, but I don't remember if it was for this show or the Disneyland show. Uh, Disneyland show. Okay. Yeah. That would be an interview worth bringing over sometime on one of our 
weeks I can't be here or something. Oh, yeah. No, I'll have to... I, I don't even think I've ever listened to that episode in general, so I, I I know you mentioned it to me once before, but I need to go back and actually find it. Yeah, yeah, That it was a really good interview. So, All right, I think you'll get this one, too. R.I.P. Rest in Peace Cam Irving. Probably should have thought of swerving... I mean, with the, so I'm a little thrown off with Cam, but Irving sounds very close to one of the Irvines. So, and mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. I uh, and Cam sounds close to Kim. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. You're right. This is a tribute to Imagineer Kim Irvine. Daughter of Imagineer Leota Toombs, who is the face of Madame Leota in the seance room. and um, But Kim provides the face of Madame Leota during the Haunted Mansion holiday overlay. And she has worked on upgrades to It's a Small World, um, makeovers of several Main Street shops and Sleeping Beauty Castle, and many, many other projects that are way too numerous to mention. Um, she also makes a cameo appearance in Muppets Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus, yeah. which I'm sure you caught. I, I did. <laughs> I'm sure everyone yeah. out there out there yeah. has caught yeah. it as well. She's, she's dusting um, Madame Pagoda, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was cute. Yeah. Now here's a double tombstone. Then this one might be tough. So on one half of the tombstone, it says, in final rest, M. Dibjib. He had to eat that one last rib. Um, I do not know that at all. Apparently, this is a tribute to Imagineer Michael Dabrisky, something like Dabrisky. Um, he's a concept artist and graphic designer for Walt Disney Imagineering, and he worked on restoring the graveyard to the berm in 2016. Um, his latest project was a tropical hideaway in Adventureland. Oh. Yeah. And he was in, in 2001, he was inducted into the Disneyland Entertainment Hall of Fame. I believe he's also a professor at, at one of the colleges that are local down there as well, because I came across his, when I was researching him, I came across his LinkedIn, um, account and all that too. So, yeah. So. Okay, on the other half of the tombstone is loyal friend Esteban Pine. He no longer has to wait in line. I don't know that either. Yeah, and I don't know how you'd guess it. This is a tribute to Steve Pinedo. Um, He's a design administrator for Walt Disney Imagineering. He was, again, the show coordinator for restoring the graveyard to the berm. So... Good. I'm glad they got their tombstones. Yeah, me too. Okay. Here's a fun one. Julia Shrub. Such a good sport when people would tease her for being so. And then the tombstone was too short to actually have the word short added in. (laughs) Which is what's supposed to be there. That's hilarious. I I don't know who it is, but that's funny. It's a, well, and then when, when, when you hear her name, it's even funnier. It's a tribute to Disneyland landscape architect Julie Bush. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is hilarious, isn't it? Yeah. She's—I've heard about her before, and it's only because of her name that I remember. 
She's responsible for the design site and, con- site and construction for all the Disneyland Resort area development, work, and rehabs. Her project includes the 10-year repaving plan. That is still going on. It's hard to believe. New Tomorrowland and the Rivers of America redesign project. And this one I'm not going to read properly because it's not in English. Um, Aqui Descana Brad Descansa Bradford Clemente Demasiado Bebir de la Fuente. This is going to need to have Mary Jo on the show. Yeah, and we were hoping she'd be here, but <laughs> I, I've got nothing with this one. Now it translates to. Um, here rests Bradford Clemente. He drank too much from the fountain. And there's a, there's an inscription of a grape. It's at the top, hinting what sort of fountain he died drinking from. Hmm. A- and this tombstone's a tribute to Haunted Mansion senior show designer Brad Clemens. So Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So now let's stroll amongst some of the tombstones unique to the Magic Kingdom's Haunted Mansion. All right. I'm like I did before. I'm starting out with the easiest one. Dear sweet Leota, beloved by all in regions beyond now, but having a ball. I, I wouldn't even begin to know who that's about. So Leota is not a, it, it's a common name. Could be anyone, <laughs> but I, I'm going to say Leota Tombs. Absolutely. And like I said earlier, she provided the face of Madame Leota and the voice and face of the ghostess who uh, um, who began her career with the Walt Disney Studio in 1940 in the ink and paint department. So she's the voice of um, and face of little Leota, the little ghostess yeah. at the end of the attraction Everybody. in both mansions. Yeah. And so she, um, so she started in 1940 in the Paint Department before moving over to the Animation Department, where she met and married animator Harvey Toombs. She left the studio to raise their children and returned in 1962, joining Wed Enterprises and worked on developing the Disney attractions for the 63-64 New York World's Fair. After the fair, she worked on Pirates of the Caribbean and Haunted Mansion. Yale Gracie asked her to pose for the head of Madame Leota, but actress Eleanor oddly provided the voice. And you know her, she voiced, um, she voiced Cinderella's evil stepmother mm-hmm. in, and, um, in Maleficent and other classic yes. ones. And then, like I said, you can hear her voice, Little Leota. She relocated the, to Florida to help start up the attractions for Walt Disney World before returning to California in 1979, where she held many different positions at Wet Enterprises. And she was named a Disney legend in 2009. And of course, if you take a close look at her tombstone, it occasionally opens its eyes and looks around. Mm-hmm. So is she looking for you when you're there? Yeah, it's, right. uh, it's so cool. It's it's awesome to see when someone's been there for the first time and uh, they get caught off guard as soon as it moves. I know. I know. It's so funny. <laughs> okay. Here's one. Here lies good old Fred. A great big rock fell on his head. Um, That's uh, Fred uh, Jor- Jorger. Uh-huh. That's right. 
Yeah, and he began his Disney career in 1953, working for the Warner Brothers Studios, building sets. Then he worked at the Walt Disney Studio Model Shop, building models for attractions like the Mark Twain Riverboat, King Arthur Carousel, and Pirates of the Caribbean. He may be best known for his skill at rock work for attractions like Big Thunder Mountain, the crumbling temple ruins of the Jungle Cruise, and the exterior of the Haunted Mansion. He was responsible for all the rock work at Walt Disney World and was named a Disney legend in 2001. So I'm always amazed at the people who can build those models. Yeah. It's, and I, oh, what a gift. Yeah. Not only is it the gift of detail, but it's the gift of time. Like I just and patience and <laughs> and I think we've just pointed out all the reasons why I cannot make any models <laughs> except Lego models. Oh yeah, no, it my fingers constantly hurt from doing Lego sets. <laughs> <laughs> all righty, the next one. Rest in peace, cousin Hewitt. We all know you didn't do it. I oh, I feel like I know this one, but I'm not. I'm not sure. This is a tribute to Cliff Hewitt. He was the lead interior designer of the mansion and an architect for Wet Enterprises. Hmm. Okay. I, yeah, I'm not. I feel like I know his name, but maybe it's just I know the tombstone. Yeah, especially because it was one of the ones highlighted in um, Muppets Haunted Mansion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here's another one Dear Departed Brother Dave, he chased a bear into a cave. I'm again, I am not sure about that one. Yeah, some of these are getting a little obscure now. This is a tribute to another model maker, Dave Burkhart. He created several models for the mansion, and he also worked on the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea attractions. Okay, two of our favorites. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, here lies a man named Martin. The lights went out on this old Spartan. I'm not sure on this one either. Yeah, this is a tough one, but he did a lot. This is a tribute to Bud Martin, who worked in lighting effects and designed the lighting for the mansion. Um, Bill Martin helped design and build Disneyland, and he would regularly walk through the park with Walt to see how they could improve the park. He's also responsible for the design of the Utilidors under the Magic Kingdom and for designing the Admiral Joe Fowler and Richard F. Irvine riverboats. No, oh, well, now I'm just completely embarrassed that I don't know. <laughs> I know. It, it's sort of wonder. I'm glad we're going through this because these are people that should be remembered and they are on the tombstones. So what's cool is now when we go through the mansion, we... We're going to know who they are, and we can dazzle our friends with our intelligence. And, hey, do you know what that tombstone is for? Yeah. I, I just hope any of my friends will care. They'll probably be like, okay, thank you. Let's, you can they'll stop be, talking now. They'll be on their phone looking at Genie Plus. <laughs> no, it'll be worse. They'll be on Instagram. Uh. <laughs> Okay, R.I.P. Good friend Gordon, now you've crossed the River Jordan. I mean, it clearly has to be the, the Gordon's fisherman, right? Yes, that's right. It's, yeah, that's right. That's that's the transition over to um, Liberty Square, yeah, of Fantasyland. <laughs> <laughs> this is... 
This is a tribute for Gordon Williams, who worked on audio animatronics, and he was an audio designer for Wet Enterprises. He created many of the sound effects for the Haunted Mansion. So, okay. In memoriam, Uncle Mile, you'll lie here for quite a while, or here you'll lie for quite a while. I, uh, again, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. The, and it's a name that you might recognize just from other shows in the Dis- 60 Years of Disneyland show. It's a tribute to um, Chuck Mile. He was a WED art director and project designer. He assisted with the master planning of Walt Disney World. At Disneyland, he worked on Sleeping Beauty Castle, the Monorail, and Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. R.I.P. Mr. Sewell, victim of a dirty duel. <laughs> um, I'm I'm assuming their name has something to do with Sewell. Yes. Mm-hmm. Bob Sewell, <laughs> who, who was the head of the WED model shop and worked on models for the Haunted Mansion and other attractions. At Disneyland, he was in charge of show installations. I mean, how could I not get Bob Sewell? <laughs> Now, as you approach the entrance doors of the Haunted Mansion in the Magic Kingdom, you're going to see a stone wall to the left of the walkway in an alcove that has four crypts marked by epitaphs. Okay, this one is a a little stronger one here that I'm confident on. Farewell forever, Mr. Freeze. Your voice will carry on the breeze. Well... Considering we've already mentioned Paul Freeze like six mm-hmm. times, I feel like it has to be him. <laughs> it's him. Here's now. This is definitely the tribute to Paul Freeze, not yeah. that shaky one that I said Phineas Fogg or whatever it was. Um, okay, the next one. While Brother Roland here reposes, his souls above one supposes. I mean, is it also another one for Roly? It is, but this one's at the Haunted Mansion in the Magic Kingdom. Oh, okay. There we go. Because the previous one was Disneyland. Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Drink a toast to our friend Ken. Fill your glass and don't say when. I mean, okay. I am like blanking on Ken's last name. This is Ken Anderson. Ken Anderson, yeah. Yeah, this is Walt Disney's jack-of-all-trades. He was yeah. the art director for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Pinocchio, Fantasia, and several other Disney films. His background in architecture and archi- artistic talents caused Walt Disney to move Ken over to work on Disneyland. And he worked on concept art for Peter Pan's Flight, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, and other attractions. He also worked on multiple concepts for Walt's Haunted House project in the 1950s, including the Captain Gore and Bloodmere Mansion backstories. He retired after a 44-year career in 1978 and was named a Disney legend in 1991. We, We talked a lot about him when we were talking about the history of the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. And in the Disneyland at 60 series. Okay. All right. This next one you'll know. A train made a stain of absent-minded Uncle Blaine. Rest in pieces. Um, uh, Blaine Gibson? 
Absolutely. The sculptor for Wet Enterprises. He started his career with the Walt Disney Studio working on animation effects for Song of the South, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, and Casey Batts again, before moving on to character animation. He took night classes for his sculpting hobby, and Walt Disney took notice of his sculpting skills and moved them over to Wed to work on Disneyland. He created the animals for the Jungle Cruise, worked on the Disney attractions for the 63-64 New York World's Fair, sculpted the figures for Pirates of the Caribbean, Haunted Mansion, and of course, uh, as we know, a lot of the figures from Pirates of the Caribbean can be found in the Haunted Mansion, mm-hmm. you know, and the Hall of Presidents, and the um, Partners and Sharing the Magic statues yeah. in the parks. And he retired in 1983 and was named a Disney legend in 1993. But he continued working as a consultant on special projects until his passing in 2015. Now, there are a couple of obelisks over at the Magic Kingdom that are tributes to Imagineers. I think this one you'll know. First Lady of the Opera, our haunting Harriet, searched for a tune but could never carry it. Um, that is Harriet Burns. That's right. The first woman hired by Wed Enterprises, Harriet Burns. So she started out designing, building, and painting the sets and props for the Mickey Mouse Club in 1955 before moving over to Wet Enterprises, where she worked on creating Sleeping Beauty Castle, Storybook Land, The Enchanted Tiki Room, Submarine Voyage, Matterhorn Bobsleds, New Orleans Square, The Haunted Mansion, the Disney attractions for the 63-64 World's Fair, and many other attractions for Disneyland and Walt Disney World. She retired in 1986 and was named a Disney legend in 2000. I interviewed her daughter, um, Pam Burns-Claire, that might have been for the Disneyland show. I don't remember, though. That was also for the Disneyland show. Yeah, okay. I wasn't on, on that one, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah that's another one we'll have to um, bring over someday. Yeah, I feel like I mi- I I'll have to go back through and actually like mark down all of the interviews and stuff you did because I think maybe our archives really only show the um the like specific Disneyland episodes, not necessarily mm-hmm. the interviews. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cuz we we have some good interviews in there. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here's one. Uh here's the other uh, here's another obelisk. Our dearest Dorothea Short and sweet. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think. There's, there's a person with the name Dorothy. Dorothea. Yeah. Dorothea. Mm-hmm. If it is her name, actual Dorothea. It is. Well, then I don't know. Dorothea Redman. She may be best known for designing the five mosaics in Cinderella Castle's um, passageway. I thought her name was Dorothy. No, it's Dorothea. Huh. Okay. Well. Yeah. That's my bad. <laughs> yeah. She joined Wet Enterprises in 1964 and designed Disneyland's Plaza Inn. She designed the interiors and exteriors of New Orleans Square and the Haunted Mansion. She created the concept art for the interior of the Disney family's royal suite above Pirates of the Caribbean that is now the Dream Suite. And she retired in 1974 and was named a Disney legend in 2008. Good for her. Yeah. Very creative. And those mosaics were um, 
duplicated in Tokyo in their uh, Disneyland castle, their Cinderella castle. It's I, I I love them in ours. I just I there's something that's just not as special walking through our Cinderella castle as there is walking through Sleeping Beauty castle, but it's close. Yeah, but those mosaics, I always stop and look at them. They're so beautiful. Yeah, they've as of recently they've turned into like a big photo op thing, and it literally causes so many bottlenecks going through hmm. there because everyone wants their photos in front of them. So, oh, how interesting! Well, that's yeah. good though. It, it's great to see them being appreciated, but mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a nightmare to walk through. I don't walk through mm-hmm. as much anymore. I always try to walk through at least once. Because I just like the experience of walking through the castle. Yeah. 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 All right. And the final obelisk, and I think we talked about this in one of our uh, This Week in Disney History um, segments. Um, Campbell. That's all it says. Campbell. I, I don't remember. Colin Campbell. I definitely don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, he started his Disney career in 1943 when he was 16. He was a 16 year old part time messenger at the Walt Disney Studio. And after serving in the Navy during World War II, he returned to the studio in the traffic department and soon left to attend art school. He later returned to the studio and worked on several films, including Lady and the Tramp, The Truth About Mother Goose, Sleeping Beauty, Donald in Math Magic Land, 101 Dalmatians, Darby O'Gill and the Little People, the Man in Space episodes for the Disneyland television series. He also created sets for the Mickey Mouse Club. He then moved over to Wed Enterprises and worked on concept art of Disneyland for Roy to sell the park to financiers. He worked on the Disney attractions for the 63-64 World's Fair. He worked with Claude Coates to develop Pirates of the Caribbean and designed the flat-bottom boats for the attraction. He built the model for the Blue Bayou and helped design Club 33. And he did the hand-painted scene that's in the lid of Lillian Disney's harpsichord in um, Club 33. For Walt Disney World, he developed the overall feel for the resort in the Magic Kingdom and created concept art for the resort areas and hotels. He was the field art director of Tom Sawyer Island. He created concept art for Disney MGM Studios and Typhoon Lagoon. He retired in 1990, but he came out of retirement to supervise the reimagining of Disneyland's Tom Sawyer Island. And Campbell was named a Disney legend in 2013. What an amazing career. And all he gets is this obelisk that says Campbell. I completely agree. (laughs) And I mean, his name, from his contributions, his name should be a lot more known than than it is. And I'm, I'm hoping there's other people out there who appreciate him a lot more and remember him. Uh, I, I will try to add his name to the registry in my brain from now on because it, just extremely impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And this is only a little of what he did because I had to, um, narrow it down a bit. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, That's going to be our walk through the tombstones for now, but we're going to revisit some tombstones in just a bit. But we talked, I think, a couple of episodes back. Maybe it was our last episode, I don't recall. A new Halloween television special debuted on Disney+, Plus, The Muppets Haunted Mansion. And and 
Craig, I think we did talk about at least our, our initial feelings. I know you talked about it on another show. Mm-hmm. But overall, you enjoyed Muppets Haunted Mansion, right? Yes. And uh, in preparation for our recording for this, uh, Kylie and I watched it just two nights ago. Because mm-hmm. I feel like the first time around when I watched it, I enjoyed it. And I felt like it was a little long. And I I, I still loved it. And I want more Muppets Disney crossover specials like that. But uh, this time around when I watched it, I was just e- even more enthralled. I feel like I picked up on more of the details. I appreciated the music even more. I I just, I had a ball watching this thing. You know, I, I agree. It's funny. The second time I watched it, I enjoyed it even more. I watched it last night and then a little of it um, today. And... And I, I agree with you. I enjoyed so much of it, so much more. I, I was amazed how much I missed the first time I watched it. Yeah. And there's so much detail in there and humor. So, um, yeah, it was terrific. Yeah. I, and I, I will say, I still think it gets a little bit slow towards the end. Um, it's, it's not, it's not as tight as the beginning is. In the sort of like is, the wedding scene in the attic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, but all that being said, if it was shorter, I might be sitting here saying, "Well, if only they could have made it just a little bit longer. They they just needed to 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 pad it out a little bit more so we could have more of the Muppets." But I. I just truly, truly think that they did an excellent job with it. And uh, I agree. I I know I'm going to end up watching it one more time before Halloween is uh, actually here as well, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, earlier this month, I attended a presentation at the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco's historic Presidio on the making of Disney Muppets Haunted Mansion with Dave Golse and Bill Beretta. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to share the notes that I jotted down with you, tell you a little about it. Of course, Dave um, joined uh, Jim Henson in 1973, and Bill began in 1991. Of course, we all know Dave is the is Gonzo, and Bill is Pepe, the King Prawn. Mm-hmm. And so th- this was a prepared presentation um, because they had very slick slides that went with the questions that the um, host was asking. So the first question was how they got started. So Dave said that he was obsessed with Muppets from watching Sesame Street. And he built his own Muppets. And he worked in Silicon Valley and he was on a business trip to New York. And he went to just... He just went to Henson Studios and he met Frank Oz and he showed him his puppets. And Oz was so impressed that he said he should meet Jim. And so they did. And they sort of began ad-libbing with the Muppets. He said that was just amazing. And so um, Jim had to go to the uh, CBS Studios. They were filming a Perry Como special. So um, he was invited. He invited Dave to go. And so he sat next to Jane Henson. And she said, um, you know, and they were talking and Jane asked, are you, we, are you going to be joining us? And D- Dave said, oh, I don't know. I mean, we haven't talked about it and all that. And she said, I'm sure Jim will find something for you to do. So he's, and he did. <laughs> so, uh, she, 
he said that Jim Henson had an amazing, mild personality. And it was all about play and fun. He was tall and thin. He looked frail. And so people were very protective of him. But he was tough and he was a good collaborator. And he said it was a creative nirvana to work there due to Jim's personality. And Gonzo was created for The Muppet Show, and he was a Muppet Jim had created for another show. And so in, in the, he Gonzo stemmed from an idea of a, a performer who did crazy acts and thought the audience didn't appreciate the acts because they were unsophisticated. <laughs> I remember hearing, because Gonzo's my favorite Muppet character, and, and Snuffleupagus for some reason, I don't know why. And... um and I remember hearing in an interview with somebody years ago that the idea for the physical appearance of Gonzo is from a flea. And so I don't know if that's canon or not. That wasn't in this presentation. I probably heard that 30 years ago or something. I don't I think I've that. ever heard that. But, I, I mean, there's also, I guess I kind of see part of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, so I don't know. So I might be completely wrong in that because I don't know who said that and with what authority they said that. Yeah. So now the personalities and oh, Bill was saying personalities and voices come from different places, and and so he, for him it's um, people in his life, people that he meets in his life. So when a Muppet is built. He creates a backstory, and that was a suggestion from Frank Oz. And then the Muppet tells you who he is as, as you create that backstory for him. So he said it's all about the character. Um, he said performing is the hard part, how they move, how they think. The voice is only 10% of it. Mm-hmm. So now this is interesting because I love Pepe, and I think he's a good... Um, I think he works personally. I think he works better with Gonzo than Rizzo does. See, see, see. Yeah. Now, and I think I teased this on another show. Pepe is based on Bill's wife's aunt. It's her voice. And she was very mysterious. And Pepe is all about swag. And he wants everything for free. And the aunt was exactly the same. And she would take things. And when she died, they found a drawer full of sunglasses. And none of them were hers. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Uh Oh, man. So, um, but isn't that funny? That's hilarious. Yeah. So he feels that he can't get into trouble with Pepe's voice and attitude and all that because it's it's all based on a real person. That's yeah, uh, which makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So Bill and how did he start? He said he was sixteen or seventeen years old, and he worked at an amusement park in Pennsylvania called Sesame Place. I remember reading about this place, and he met seventeen-year-old Brian Henson, who was there, and they became friends. And they were both living on their own. And then Brian went off to college, but they stayed in touch. So when Jim passed away. Bill sent his condolences, and they got closer. And I think Bill said he went to the um, memorial service. 
and he started, and, and um, they reconnected even more. So Bill was in New York studying to be an actor, and he moved to California. And at this time, Brian was the head of the company, and they had finished um, doing working on the Ninja Turtles film, and they were about yeah. to start work. My son loved that movie. I still love them. Yeah, uh, mostly. Oh, the my first son one, does but... too. <laughs> yeah. Now they were about to start on the television show Dinosaur, which I love. I love too. Yeah, and he was hired to be the father, Earl Sinclair, inside the suit. I didn't know that. I didn't either. Yeah. And Dave Goltz was the puppeteer for the audio animatronics head that had servos that were operated remotely. And so then um, the voices were redubbed with celebrities in post-production. So Bill could see only through the mouth, which is why. And then he went and he demonstrated this. He walked across the theater. And that's why when you watch this, Earl always walks with his mouth open. Oh. Because it's the only way you can see where he's going. Okay. I need to I need to sit down and watch some dinosaurs. I think yeah, they have a yeah. Halloween special. <laughs> oh, okay. I know I've been watching it off and on. Yeah. Like I have been with um the Muppet uh the Muppet show. Good. Okay, then they talked about the haunt the Muppets Haunted Mansion. They said it had been in development since the mid nineties, and the question was, how scary should we make it? Um they said Disney was motivated to make it so they could so they could integrate the haunted mansion, and that then made it family friendly. So now that the Muppets are under Parks and Entertainment and Imagineering, bringing in the haunted mansion was easy, and since it was a TV special, it's like riding the attraction. Yeah, they even had Omnimovers in it, so yeah, they do buggies. <laughs> Yeah. So, and they said Gonzo became the hero due to his delusions with magic, and they added Pepe because it works better in pairs. And at first, he, <laughs> first, the original script was that Pepe thinks he's going to the Playboy Mansion, but they had to pull that part out. <laughs> oh, I would have loved for that to have been in there. <laughs> I know. I know. So, like Muppet Christmas Carol and Treasure Island, it it's um, they said it's always fun to have them play classic characters, and they thought especially from the Haunted Mansion. So they have um, lots of Easter eggs, like the house address for the mansion is Jim's birthday nine twenty four, and of course, um, oh, let's see, oh. You can see um, Kermit's eyes in the gate. Sweetum's eyes are above the door in the mansion. The dog lion is in the doorknob. And, of course, um, Beaker and... um, It's Gonzo, Beaker, Pepe, and Uncle Deadly are in the wallpaper pattern, if you look closely at it. So, um, now filming was during the pandemic and right after vaccination. So they had very strict protocols. They had, um, they had to wear masks, face guard. They had a smaller crew and Dave stayed in a hotel and trailer throughout. 
the whole thing. So the Muppets were sprayed down before and after use. The performers wore um, rubber gloves and nobody got sick during the production. And then, and I think we talked about this before, Craig, is they asked which sets were real. Now is a question they posed to the audience, which sets are real. And they used those LED walls with virtual sets of the mansion rooms and hallways, along with blue and green screens. So only a couple of actual sets were used. Um, the limo was a partial set. Mm-hmm. And the bride's attic was a partial, was a partial set. And so was Kermit's party. And those were the only sets. Okay. And then everything else. Some were a combo like, um, in the graveyard with Darren Chris. It was just him with a couple of tombstones. And then, or it would be a doorway. Yeah. Would be real. But then everything else behind it were those, with these LED walls. Yeah. Or blue, or blue or I mean, green screens. It, it looks good. Mm-hmm. I agree. I looked really closely at it the second time and I thought it was pretty good. So, um, so they had to create a 3D augmented reality version of their haunted mansion. And so, um, so, and, 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 and also of the ground. So they can see how the characters, um, traveled through the mansion. So they said, Dave said the hardest part of being a Muppet performer, I think this is a question from the audience, it's the position that you have to be in in order to perform the Muppets. You are never comfortable. Yeah. And, um, and in fact, they've actually like had to have surgeries and stuff like that, especially Dave. Yeah. Um, I mean, your arm is straight up and that's not an exaggeration. It has to be straight up because. That's the only way to get that realistic look. And yeah. it's, you think like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Try holding your arm straight up without anything on it. Try holding it up for five minutes, let alone for, you know, 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And then their wrist and fingers are bent in weird ways in mm-hmm. order to manipulate the faces. And he said that's I think he said surgery for carpal tunnel and all kinds of stuff. So. Oh yeah, no, all you have to do is raise your arm and then bend your wrist, and you can feel the muscles how much they're used. Just bending your wrist—it's it is insane what they go through. I want to be a puppeteer, but I know that my body physically can't handle it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they said, Bill said, the best part is when we all get back together to play, since they all live in different areas. Of course, Dave didn't get to play this time around because, you know, he's older. Mm -hmm. So he was concerned about COVID. So that's why he stayed pretty isolated. And um, then they talked about some of the people that did cameos. John Stamos, he said he improvised a lot. And Ed Asner, they said he was very witty and gruff. And they didn't know if he was mad or just playing with you. (laughs) (laughs) They said Kim Irvine was um, nice and sweet, and her granddaughter is named Leota. I said, I think they brought, she brought her on the set, I think. Mm. And Will Arnett, they said he was always always riffing. He was just constantly at it. They said he was he's as funny as you can in, in real life as he is on the screen in all his different roles that he plays. Mm. And all that. And um, 
They said the premiere of it was in a college parking lot in Culver City, and it was decorated beautifully, and it was shown on a big screen, but everybody was in their cars because of COVID. So they said it was sort of like going to a drive-in. <laughs> that's so great. That's funny, yeah. So then there was a question, how do you learn to be a Muppeteer? And um, they said the best way is to be a right-hand man to a Muppeteer. And they said it takes about a year to get used to the idea that moving in a direction appears the opposite on camera. Yeah. So. And that's I I've watched so many videos on it and it still seems like oh it's not that hard but then when you try it in practice it is difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I would imagine cuz you have to sort of rewire your brain a bit. You know, in the way you think. Yeah, and you know, that's there are special people out there who are able to do that. I know I am not one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they said, what's a good skill set to have for writing for the Muppets? That was another question. Because there was a young woman in there who was a, a screenwriter for something else. I can't remember what. So she asked, what is a good skill set for having writing for the Muppets? They said it's all character-based. Um, you have to really study the characters to make sure you have their voice and write it out. You have to think of them as real beings instead of cartoon characters and then start throwing the crazy on it after you have the story and character arcs. Yeah. So, and then what was cool is they had, I was sitting next to somebody who I don't know who he was, a producer or, or somebody. And I'd been chatting with him before the presentation. Cause I was talking about how much I- I'd watched uh, this was, uh, this presentation was the day after, um, Muppets Haunted Mansion premiered on Disney Plus. So I'd watched it the night before and I was chatting with him about it and how much I enjoyed it and, um, seeing the Muppets and characters. And I felt they were going in the right direction. And he said that, yeah, definitely they are. Mm. And they're under new management, new yeah. executives who they feel they have a good handle on them. And he said that they came up with a Halloween version because of course the Halloween special we all grew up with that we all watch every year is of course it's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown. And he talked about how they really wanted to sort of knock Charlie Brown off his pedestal. And I said, well, I told him, well, this is a, this is a Halloween special I'll watch every year. And he said that was our goal. So, so that was interesting, but he had put out boxes on stage before um, the presentation. I was in the front row with them, and I kept looking at these boxes. I thought, okay, I know what's in these boxes. <laughs> and so they finally, they brought out Pepe and Gonzo, and they started performing. They actually had Pepe and Gonzo respond to some of the questions in as if as characters and it was it was hilarious i can't tell you and then they started riffing with each other you know pepe's making fun of gonzo because he dates a chicken and oh it was you would have loved it craig it was just it was hilarious that's i had the opportunity to see uh at the 2015 d23 expo i had the opportunity to see dave and uh bill do Gonzo and Pepe, and it was fantastic. But um, I feel like 
even like as the years go on, their bond gets even greater. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine like how in the past six years it, it would be even better to sit there and witness them uh, doing just being themselves, but being the characters. And they have other ideas. Um, they do. There are ideas being thought of for other attractions. And Bill said, and of course, anybody who goes to the parks, you could probably guess what attractions would lend themselves to the, to, you know, stories with the Muppets. And, uh, you know, of course, immediately I think Tower of Terror and Jungle Cruise. See, and my first thing I thought of was Pirates of the Caribbean, but is that but too they've done close? it. Yeah. Yeah. To Treasure yeah, Island. Exactly. And I think they brought that up that they that, that they've already been in that world. Yeah. But then I'm trying I was trying to think if there are any others in in the park, but those are those are the big two. Yeah. I I mean those would both work. I could see like a Kilimanjaro safaris where they're on oh. like a safari expedition. Mm-hmm. I could see Expedition Everest like to an extent, but I mean at the same time too I see some I I see a lot more potential in like throwaway gags to like yeah. uh to smaller attractions and stuff. Not the smaller, Indiana but, Jones, Indiana yeah. Jones attraction. Yeah. I I mean and that's I feel like with Muppets they also like a format that's very close to like more, more little segments would be perfect because that would be more like the Muppet babies that I grew up with where it wasn't uncommon to do like, Oh, there's a little bit of star Wars in that episode and a little bit of Indiana Jones. So Mm -hmm. I wish they could just do that with, with the Disney parks attractions that maybe they don't have enough to make a full blown story out of, but maybe they can still find a way. And at the very least I would still just take, I, I would take a couple more specials of like the Muppets at Walt Disney World, like the classic, um, the classic Wonderful World of Disney yeah. TV special with Charles Grodin. Like, just throw the Muppets in Disney parks, have them go on rides. It's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. They can they can hang around with the Osmond brothers. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> at least I mean Donnie's still alive. I know that because yeah. I watched him on a, a game show a couple oh. weeks back. Okay. <laughs> I'm, but I'm not sure about the rest of them. I'm sure they're alive, right? <laughs> I think they are. So. Good. Good for them. All right. And Marie. Marie's still around. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there you go. I mean, she's a little country. <laughs> so, all right. Well, well, let's get back to tombstones here. Okay. In in the scene, the first big song is the scene with Darren Chris doing the caretaker song, Rest in Peace. And it highlights several of the tombstones we already talked about. But they added a few new ones that are tributes to Muppet performers or people who worked on the show. So, and I think you'll probably get these, Craig. So, for instance, here lies Frankie, a dead ringer. I mean, I would say that's Frank Oz. <laughs> yeah, Frank Oz. Best known, of course, for for performing Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, Animal, Sam Eagle in The Muppet Show, and Yoda in the Star Wars films. He also directed several films, including The Dark Crystal and Muppets Take Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's another one. Here lies Kirk. His body went poof when he fell from the roof. Uh, that would be Kirk Thatcher, the director of Muppets right. Mansion, along with 
Uh, I know he had a part in Muppet Treasure Island and mm-hmm. so so many other things. He he did a lot of stuff. Yeah, he was the show's writer. Uh, also, he was director and one of the writers. Mm-hmm. Um, he directed "It's a Very Merry Muppet Christmas," "A Muppet's Christmas Letters to Santa," "The Muppet's Wizard of Oz," and "The Muppet's Bohemian Rhapsody." And he co-wrote "Muppet Treasure Island," and he was a supervising producer for "Muppets Tonight." Yep. Yeah. And then. Here lies N. Lively, not anymore. <laughs> it's kind this, of sad. It'll, it is. I was just thinking that. This is very sad. Uh, the about-to-be former Imagineer, Kevin Lively. No, I, I think he is former. I think I saw him post. It was his last day last oh, week. Oh, it was his last. I, I knew he was saying that he made the decision to leave the Walt Disney uh, Imagineering team, but I don't. I didn't see that it was his last day. But the former Imagineer Kevin Lively, yeah, not anymore. Yeah, I know it's sad. Yeah, this is tribute to Imagineer Kevin Lively, an Imagineering show writer who worked on the film. He has done a lot of stuff. He worked on show writing for attractions like The Jingle Cruise, Hyperspace Mountain, Mater's Graveyard Jamboree, and his Zootopia-themed land in Shanghai Disneyland. And I think he just opened... Something else just opened that he worked on. I can't recall what it is. He was the... um, He was basically in charge of all of the Jungle Cruise updates. Mm -hmm. That's right. That attraction on both coasts. So... Uh, yeah. e- even down to the fact that just you know, as we thought, as we thought they were finished, then like they added the Mark Davis frogs as mm-hmm. well. Uh, oh, I they mean, put them back in. Yep. Yep. Okay. So it's um. It, so that that was his. I I feel terrible saying it this way, but that was kind of like his final. His final big hurrah. I mean, Muppets Haunted Mansion also, too, since it came out afterwards. But in terms of inside the parks, the Jungle Cruise was his piece de resistance. And it's just such a shame because he went from being a cast member in the parks to then being in Imagineering and totally gets everything why can't they just have some Imagineer still out on on I, the West Coast that this is, fill that spot? It's such a shame. It is such a shame what's being done to Imagineering. Yeah, because he for discussed it with his family. It didn't make sense for them to relocate. And so, but he was told his role was being re- relocated to Florida. So he resigned from Imagineering. Now, I'm sure he'll get a job with like one of the companies that creates audio animatronics or get a job with universal creative out here or do something universal creative um, is based in orlando too oh gosh yeah it's um it's and i'm sure a lot of that has to deal with the same thing that disney went through but it's i I, it's just a shame there's still there's still room for people in imagineering what do they do with all those buildings out there I have what? no idea. A full I, campus. Like Bob Bob Chapek is gonna store all the money he's making from upcharging everything. It'll all go in the vaults. Well, it's there. Found a way to get my blood boiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um anyway, yeah, so it's sad. So but um I think he also worked on the Skipper's Canteen yeah, restaurant. Yes, I believe too. so. I think he did the show writing for that. Yeah. 
So anyway, well, we hope you enjoyed our exploration of the Haunted Mansion tombstones and the Imagineers they pay tribute to, and that this will help make your experience more meaningful and make the, when, when next time you're in queue for the Haunted Mansion and make you feel like you're a bit of an insider and more connected to the parks. But now it's time for us to explore This Week in Disney History. All right, well, we're starting out with Halloween, October 31st. So, on October 31st, 1892, Elias Disney, the future father of Walt, pays $750 for a 25 by 125 foot corner lot on the northwest side of Chicago. What is the name of the street the lot is on? Oh, I, I feel like I know this, but I, I don't right now. It's North Trip Avenue. Yeah. The address will be 2156 North Trip Avenue. The area was first annexed into the city in 1889 and is now a desirable location for working class families to buy lots and build homes of their own. Okay, November 1st. Writer, animation story artist, and director Brenda Chapman is born in Beeson, Illinois, and on November 1st, 1962. She became the first woman to win the Academy Award for the Best Animated Feature for which film? I want to say I'm thinking back. I remember when we talked about her. Um, uh, I'm going to say it was Brave? That is correct. She co-directed the Disney Pixar film Brave. Her early credits include Who Framed Roger Rabbit, The Little Mermaid, The Rescuers Down Under, Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, Cars, Wally, and Up. And in 1998, she became the first woman to direct an animated feature from a major studio, DreamWorks Animation's The Prince of Egypt, which is a really good film Yeah, we... Exodus. Really well done. Yeah, we watched that. I mean, Kylie grew up with it. Um, she even she admitted to me while we were watching it that she sang the one big song from the movie during like a elementary school talent show. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's so we were we watched it. I want to say it was either last year or the year before, and I forgot how how spectacular DreamWorks was in in the beginning of that studio. Mm-hmm. Um, they they really had a, a lock on animation there. It's it's sad that it it had its ups and downs, but um, a, a fantastic movie in their library. Yes, absolutely. Okay, November 2nd. Okay, I had to get someone in that we talked about. Popular voiceover actor Paul Fries, known for his Haunted Mansion narration, passed away on November 2nd, 1986. He voiced several pirates in the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction and which Disney animated character? Uh, oh, um, uh, uh, Red Yellow, uh, Ludwig, Ludwig von Drake. That's right. Professor Ludwig von Drake. In 18 episodes of the Walt Disney Anthology television series, Fries was involved in more than 250 films, cartoons, and television appearances. Like many voice actors, his appearances were often uncredited. 
In TV commercials, Freeze voiced the Pillsbury Doughboy and the elf who calls out to the Jolly Green Giant. That, that was in my era. Um, he was named a Disney legend in 2006. Okay. All right. I have another Muppet-themed one for you for November 3rd. Hit me. Brian Henson, puppeteer, director, producer, technician, and the chairman of the Jim Henson Company, is born to Jim and Jane Henson on November 3rd, 1963. He was the voice of which character in the 1985 Disney film Return to Oz? Uh, uh, Pumpkinhead. That's right, Jack Pumpkinhead. I like that film. It, it scares me. Ugh. Oh, it is scary. <laughs> no. That's the witch with all the heads. Yeah, it's... It, it terrifies me, but I I do really still love it. I mm-hmm. I mean I love anything that has that side involvement with Henson. Yeah, it's very underrated, I think, and it's very close to the original books, much closer than the beloved Wizard of Oz, which is oh, a great film. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, it's uh, yeah, it just it's terrifying. You have to know that going mm-hmm. into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, November 4th. Red Cross volunteer Walt Disney returns to Camp Scott on November 4th, 1918, after a stay at home with his parents. Why was he at home? It, he had the flu. Well, he had influenza. Um, Spanish flu, basically. Yeah. He was recuperating at home from influenza. Uh, an influenza epidemic will soon spread throughout the world. Camp Scott is a Red Cross training facility located near the University of Chicago. Upon upon arrival, though, Walt is sent by train to Camp King in Connecticut to await transport to France. He will be part of Company A of the Automotive and Mechanical Section. They're saying that um, his being sent home probably saved his life because they, they also had people within with the spanish flu at camp scott and they were in such close quarters a lot of those people passed and so walt since walt lived nearby they sent him home so and we got lucky for it yeah okay november 5th the first disney film to use the multiplane camera a device invented by ub iwerks and refined with the disney studio staff that adds realism to the animation was released on November 5th, 1937. What is the name of the film? It's The Old Mill, just short mm-hmm. of Halloween. Would have felt yeah. better there. Yeah, yeah. And it's directed by Wilfred Jackson. It was released by RKO Radio Pictures. And the special camera gives depth by using layers of backgrounds painted on glass. It's about an abandoned mill, which is now home for wildlife. And this short and the camera will both win Academy Awards. And finally, on November 6th, 1946, Walt Disney writes his annual birthday letter to his younger sister, Ruth, who will turn 43 on December 6th. The letter and its enclosed check is being sent earlier than usual because he is leaving this day for the premiere of what film? I'm not sure. Song of the South in Atlanta, Georgia. And then Walt goes on to explain how after the premiere, he'll be flying up to New York to board the Queen Elizabeth for a trip to England and Ireland. He'll be gathering background material in Ireland for a new picture about 
leprechauns. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know what that one is. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we not too spooky this week. Mm-hmm. Craig, since it is um, Halloween, do you have any special plans or traditions this Halloween weekend? Uh you know, in my neighborhood, we live around a lot of younger ones, so uh, trick-or-treating is very alive, and we were so bummed to pretty much skip it entirely last year that uh, we're going all out this year. I bought so much candy, <laughs> and uh, to the point that I have a feeling that a lot of our military will be getting uh, a, a bunch <laughs> of good leftover candy uh, sent their way, but... Yeah, we uh, we uh, we stocked up on our candy and gonna have a lot of family and friends over and you know just just see who comes by in their costumes and just try to have have a good time. So it's it's also my dad's birthday on Halloween, oh, along with okay. my grandmother in law, along with uh, one of my cousins and maybe one of my nieces. I'm. It's starting to add up. There's too many Halloween birthdays out mm-hmm. there anymore. So uh, I've also got a lot of birthday parties to attend. <laughs> so uh, I will be very busy with the holiday. Oh, sounds good. So, yeah, I'm going to a Halloween party on Saturday. And then on Sunday, I saw, and so Sunday I'll be putting out Halloween decorations and you know, I have some up already, but I'll put out more because we, yeah, I live in a neighborhood with lots of children. And then what our court does is, uh, and, and I'm worried I don't have enough candy. And so I think I'm probably going to have to buy more and then I'll overbuy and yeah, then I'll have to donate it. And then um, our court, what we do is we have a big court party. And so mm-hmm. we, um, so we'll have a potluck in the middle of the court and, and all of that. And some people, we they used to have the candy brought over to the middle and have the children come up to the table, but turns out the children sort of like to go to the doors. Yeah. So and because I have things set up and all of that, I have to as I see the children come up to court, I run back to my house and wait for them so they can come up and I hear them you know, the sound effects go off and I hear things and they always get excited. Oh, that, yeah. So. Uh, it, it, very similar to our neighborhood. I mean, it's, it, you can walk out to the end. Like, even if you, you know, you have a stoop, you can walk out to the end and hand out candy and do it that way. But a lot of the little kids love walking down and their parents will just stand at the very end and they'll mm-hmm. usually be drinking in our neighborhood. Sometimes they'll hand you a, a drink. Sometimes you'll give them yeah. one. Um, it's, Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It's, it's actually, they don't tell you how much fun Halloween is when you grow up. <laughs> yeah. Now, well, this was the first, when we first moved here, I was surprised to see, um, families coming. Cause when we first moved here, our children were, were you know, they were a little too little for trick or treating. Mm-hmm. But then uh, we were surprised how many families, when they go around, they're carrying wine glasses. The parents yeah. are. Thought, what, what? Where have we moved to? Because that, that didn't happen in San Francisco when I was growing up and all that. And so, but yeah, that's, that's really common. <laughs> it, yeah. It's, I mean, uh, if you have the right neighborhood for it, I feel like that's just what everyone does. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. So, so anyway, so I'm looking forward to it. 
So it should be a lot of fun. Yeah. So anyway, and then, um, so we hope all of you have a wonderful um, Halloween weekend. Yeah. And a safe and one. Then, yes, and a safe one too. And then, and of course, the big news for Disneyland is there looks like the Main Street Electrical Parade is returning. I, I'm amazed it can still roll. Well, they Much will be pushing it through the streets this time. <laughs> yeah, really. I'm I'm not as excited about it because I want Paint the Night to come back. And yeah. I love Main Street Electrical Parade, and I loved all its iterations. But unless they're bringing Tokyo Dreamlights Parade, um, you know, over here, which is magnificent, uh, you know, their version of the Main Street Electrical Parade, I'm I'm not as excited. Yeah, the whole idea of, like, the 50th anniversary of the parade only works if it ran, like, if either it was so rare that it was, like, all 50 years since it happened, of course we have to bring it back, or if it has run nonstop. And Mm -hmm. it hasn't, you know, it's not rare by any means, and it also still isn't quite at that, like, that nonstop point that it's like, yeah, of course we have to celebrate it. So, it. It's a it's a strange decision. I almost feel like Disney just went back in their playbook and said, "Do you remember how many people lost their minds in 2018 or 19 when they brought back the the Main Street Electrical Parade? We're going to do that again, and that's going to that's going to smooth over all of the criticism about Magic Key and not being able to get reservations." And oh, don't get me they started. Will, everyone will be happy <laughs> as long as they get their precious little parade back. And to me, I feel like that is a thousand percent what they're doing, and it is a one hundred eighty degree difference between what Disneyland and Disney fans want versus what they're willing to give. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it'll be fun to see. But, um, yeah, I want Paint the Night back. I want a new parade. There was a 65th anniversary parade that only ran for a few weeks, if that, before the pandemic closed down the park. I wheel that one out and and bring it back because most of us never saw it. (laughs) I I mean, the Main Street Electrical Parade does – it does have that level of clout. And mm-hmm. it has that nostalgia attracted to it. So you will get people who haven't been to the parks in years again saying, oh, yeah, it's back. I didn't see it the last time around. I'll come back to it. But again, what is Disneyland about? Is it about is it about the annual pass holders and the regulars and the locals? Or is it about attracting people who haven't been in forever? And uh, that's to me, Disneyland is about the locals and pass holders. So Mm -hmm. do something to make them happy. Don't bring back a decrepit parade that everyone has seen a hundred times over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I know like probably there's young children that haven't seen it and all that, but people are excited. So I think, okay. There's also young children who haven't seen Remember Dreams Come True. And Mm -hmm. that would be more impressive to them, probably the Main Street Electrical Parade. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, we'll see how it looks. And maybe the, hopefully they've restored some of the floats that weren't part of of it the last time it rolled out, because I don't know what happened to them. I'm, so. waiting, <laughs> I'm waiting for them to announce, like, now 50% less lights. And yeah. you're like, oh, 
50 (laughs) percent yeah because you know we're california so we're trying to cut back on our use of energy oh yeah no it's (laughs) you should be applauded for it so um anyway well I used a few references when researching this episode. Uh, a book I used was A Magical Half Century, Stories Celebrating Walt Disney World's First 50 Years by Christopher E. Smith. Um, some websites and articles I used, the Haunted Mansion Wiki, Long Forgotten Haunted Mansion, the Disney Wiki, and D23.com. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on all of the random shows on the Dis Unplugged Podcast Network and then on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Teleclaster, and then always through email, Craig at WDWinfo.com. What about you, Michael? You can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, MichaelBowling dash connecting with Walt. Instagram, MichaelBowling the Diz. You can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at Connecting Walt. Send us photos of your of yourself in your Halloween costumes. Yeah. Post them there. Yeah. If you'd like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or disneyplug.com. Look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon Podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. 